One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that builds biographical bridges between our guests and you with the help of some music that has become bound to their lives and their memories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Greg Hennessy. Greg is host of In the Flamingo Lounge with Rockabilly Greg, a podcast that focuses on musicians and music industry professionals from Buffalo and Western New York. He's also a vocalist with a folk duo called Old Friends and has performed as a guest vocalist with the Andrews Sisters Tribute Act Buffalo Dolls and in local music theater productions. Greg has also served on the board of trustees of the Buffalo Music Hall of Fame and currently serves on the board of the Sportsman's Americana Music Foundation. He joined us from his home in Buffalo. Hey there, Greg. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. So uh, our last emails that we traded, you pointed out, and I hadn't noticed yet, that Tony Bennett passed away this morning, uh, just yeah. a week shy of his 97th birthday. Um, you said you were listening to him this morning. Was he somebody you were a fan of, or did he influence you or inspire you somehow? Well, yeah, yes, uh, very much. I l- love Tony Bennett. Got to see him live in uh, 2012. Um, and, of course, his collaboration with, with Lady Gaga in the last few years is just unbelievable and uh you know it was just it was one of those that when i heard the news earlier this morning it was it was a shock i know he was 90 95 96 years old and you know lived a wonderful life but uh just such the consummate professional and and you know listening to you know him sing i mean he was such a a great man with a phrase and of course frank sinatra thought he that tony bennett was actually the best vocalist he had ever heard and uh you know it was the way he sang and just, and I love to sing the crooner style of, you know, that great American song, but that's kind of, kind of my wheelhouse when I sing and perform too, um, as I do perform a little bit on the side. So, uh, just, just love his music. You know, I thought uh, we'd pay him a little tribute here. So I grabbed the audio from his performance on the Ed Sullivan Show in 1965. He was 39, uh, singing what turned out to be his first big hit. Uh, he won two Grammys for I Left My Heart in San Francisco. So uh, let's listen to a little bit of that now together. I left my heart. There's a little Tony Bennett for us. San Francisco. Tony was the kind of, of artist that no matter what he's saying, he made the song his own, you know, um, you always knew, no matter if it was a song that had been sang by, you know, a hundred different people, it, it, it was a Tony Bennett song when he sang it. And, uh, you know, and then the other kind of, uh, ironic part for me is I, I, before I got on, I was watching the, uh, SNL skit where, uh, Alec Baldwin impersonates Tony Bennett and they have him on the, Tony Bennett show and he introduces him as Anthony Benedetto and they had a little shtick and and uh, I have often been told that I look a lot like Alec Baldwin so it's a uh, it's it's kind of a and a kind of a kindred thing in, in a lot of respects so it was cool to and also too I was a little weepy with it so I figured I'll watch something and so that way I can laugh and get, get myself out of a out of a funk but uh, well cheers to Tony Bennett yes cheers. um where did you grow up, Greg? Did you grow up there in Buffalo? And, and what was the musical background of your childhood? Yeah. Well, I, I grew up a little south of Buffalo in a, in a small town called Fredonia. Uh, it's a college town. And uh, I predominantly, well, I was born in 64. So I, everybody who uh, I've ever interviewed, I, 
as you know, I have my own podcast. They always, if they're of a certain age, they say February 9th, 1964 was, uh, you know, the Beatles. And uh, I think a Beatles tune was a number one hit when I was born. So I grew up in those days when, when all the variety shows were on TV, you know, so Glenn Campbell and Sonny and Cher and Mac Davis and, you know, all kinds of people, Johnny Cash, Hee Haw, just loved, you know, all those shows that were on and you could get such a great variety of of music and, you know, AM radio, of course, was was kind of big then. So you could hear all different genres of music, um, you know, when you listen to the radio as opposed to just being pigeonholed like you are right now and hearing very, very specific genres of music. So I, I had a real, uh, real love for that. And of course, my mom was always... Uh, you know, watching with me and uh, we were just having a good time. I, I can remember being young and hearing uh, Chuck Berry singing my dingaling on uh, on one of the TV shows. <laughs> I had no clue, of course, what it meant at the time. I was probably maybe seven, eight years old, but, uh, you know, and would go around singing my dingaling and, you know, everybody would laugh and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> would that be, um, if I ask you to recall an early musical memory, would that be, that be about the earliest or is there anything even earlier that pops into your head? Gosh, that, that probably would be one of my earliest recollections is, is hearing that. I, I'm just trying to want, cause I can remember watching, uh, uh, I would sit on the stairs while my parents were watching laughing. And, uh, you know, of course, I'd walk around going, you bet your sweet bippy to everybody, uh, trying to think if there was any any music on that show. But probably that, yeah, probably that, my dingling. <laughs> that would be my, my first recollection of music on TV. <laughs> and now you've put it on the record. Um, uh, uh, what was the first band? One hit, wasn't it? I think it was the only hit he had or something <laughs> like that, number one or crazy um what was the first band or musician that really got your attention um you know that wasn't stuff that your folks were watching or listening to that you sort of grew into yourself yeah the, probably the first thing it was was buddy holly but it was actually the buddy holly story on tv um i remember watching it with gary Busey, and i remember when he sang true love ways man that that just got me you know and uh and of course, just that whole story of how he was just, you know, on the rise. And of course, you know, the day the music died and all that good kind of stuff. But but that was kind of my first bite at really digging rockabilly. And then that kind of dovetailed into we were we were uh, lucky to be one of the first to have like cable TV and HBO and HBO at the time was um, running the special. I think they call it now One Night With You, but it was Elvis in uh in the 68 comeback special when he was in the black leather suit and it was the full uncut version of that um recording that they did with him just kind of you know they kind of said it's the first uh, unplugged uh show uh, in in a lot of ways and it was just that just kind of absolutely hit me and of course in mystery train i mean when they play that that's just that's what really speaks to me and then kind of dovetailing into that there's kind of a a three three part to it was a uh, stray cats and uh you know mtv was big and we used to just sit there in our in our basement watching mtv and when stray cats came on i'm like holy crow these guys are like you know buddy holly and the crickets on steroids and uh of course and brian setzer is one of my all-time favorites uh at this point so that's kind of so that's kind of where my my love of rockabilly because i'm i'm i just love rockabilly i call myself rockabilly greg for my podcast and it's been my 
Twitter handle and all that, although I don't go on Twitter uh, at all. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> just, I don't know. I don't have time for it. So, uh, but uh, I am on Facebook and LinkedIn. So, but, you know, that's that twang, you know, don't mean a thing if it ain't got that twang for me. Um, you know, I, I just love that kind of uh, guitar, you know, hearing that hollow body and the Gretsch guitar and, you know, a nice Gibson three ES three fifty. It just, you know, that's what I think. That's what Scotty Moore played, and uh, the, the, that just rang real true to me. I, I don't know what it is. It just spoke to me. You know, how long between uh, discovering Rockabilly and starting to sort of craft your yourself around it? Because I know you kind of embody the vibe a bit, dress kind of the the part. How long well, between those two things? Oh, it, it was quite a long time. I mean, I went to I went to college at Fredonia. I'm a graphic designer um, by day um, and, uh, you know, went to school for art. And uh, right after I graduated from college, I had kids. So I pretty much didn't do anything musically until the early 2000s when uh, a very good friend of mine, Stephen Tevier, who we now have a folk duo together, uh, we went to high school together. He's a musician. Uh, his father was our pastor um, in Fredonia at the Methodist Church. And, you know, he moved out to Wisconsin. We hadn't seen each other in 10 years. And um, I was going through a divorce at the time. And we got back together. And I, I walked up to him. And he was running this uh, band at, at church. And I said, Steve, I want to join the band. And he he looked at me like, what do you mean you want to join the band? <laughs> I hadn't sang in high school. I hadn't done anything. Now I had I had kind of dabbled in musical theater a little bit uh, uh, when I lived in I lived in Batavia after uh, I moved from Fredonia and graduated. Worked for a printer and and uh, so and my boss at the time, Mike Hodgins, he was involved in in local theater and he got me involved behind the scenes. And then I ended up going going on stage and you know the roar of the grease paint and the smell of the crowd just uh, it got to me. And uh, so I just because I always wanted an, an outlet to sing because I had always just loved to sing. And, you know, when, when I asked Steve if I could join the band, you know, little did I know, of course, there were, you know, of course, there's politics at church and there was different things going on. And he says, and I didn't even know if you could sing. <laughs> so, so I looked at him and I said, but you don't understand. I've been singing karaoke. And he just went white. And uh He's like, dude, you're not helping yourself. Man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was uh, it was right, right around Thanksgiving. He says, look, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, uh, you know, half the band's going away for Christmas, you know, to, to visit family and all that. I'll have you sing Christmas Eve and we'll, we'll see what happens. He said, they're not going to throw us off the stage, so we don't have to worry about it. And uh, at that point, he says, yeah, he says, yeah, you can carry a tune. And uh, from there, he we... He started teaching me harmony, and it, it is, it's ironic because this has nothing to do with rockabilly, right? Right. So, you it's, know, a folk, I, it's a folk duo, right? A folk duo, yeah. We sing Simon and Garfunkel and Everly Brothers, and and ironically, when we started, <laughs> so the funny story is, so we used to, we started out one, once a month, we've been going out for uh, wings and beer, and, and of course, up here in Buffalo, they're just wings. We don't call them buffalo wings. They're just your old wings <laughs> <laughs> and we've been doing that since our fredonia days getting wings and beers once a month and so when we started doing that when when he when i moved here to buffalo i think that was like 99 um 
we started going to a karaoke joint and getting some beer and wings and singing some karaoke. And then we were going to this one place. I won't say the name because I don't want to throw them under the bus, but it, it, it was a real dive bar. And we would go there and we would sing. We'd have fun. And so our last night that we went there, we walked in and they were handing us um, raffle tickets. And we said, what are these raffle tickets for? They're like, we're raffling off porn videos. And we just looked at each other and said, that's it. We're done. And <laughs> why don't we, why don't we do something live? And, you know, he plays, he plays guitar. And uh, at the time he says, okay, I got two. He says, I have two rules, no country, no Elvis. Cause I'm also a big, big Elvis fan, of course, with Scotty Moore and liking that stuff. So I'll kind of uh, dovetail to, I think it was last year we played, we played at a local golf course, actually, that the boss that I, I work for right now owns a marketing services company, and he's a managing partner now at a golf course, and they do live music. So he says, hey, you guys want to play? We're like, yeah, sure. So we're there, and all the guys from work came, and like, come on, sing some Elvis, sing some Elvis. And uh, Steve's like, I don't play Elvis. And I said, don't worry, I got this. So I, I, I ripped into an Elvis tune acapella place went wild and uh, about three weeks later he calls me on the phone he says i know when i've been licked and he says we're gonna throw some elvis tunes <laughs> into the mix. and uh, he says because he had just finished uh singing i think Corey's coming by Ch harry chapin you know he says i'm just pouring my heart in and he says uh, crickets he says you get up there and sing that acapella and you just nailed the crowd so he says so so uh in the last like year and a half we've added some elvis to the so i finally got my uh i finally got my opportunity to sing some uh, sing some rockabilly so, uh, well we'll get more into your singing and your podcasting and all that stuff but let's get yeah. to this first song first you got it uh this is the uh, harry chapin song and you want to tell a story you want to just go on and dive right in well why don't we why don't we let the song go and then we'll we'll tell a story because I think that'll make a little bit more sense when uh, when I tell the story. Roger that. This is Greg Hennessy's first song in this week's episode of Three Song Stories. This is Mr. Tanner by Harry Chapin from his 1973 album Short Stories. That has turned out to be Steve's and my signature song that we perform that every time we perform, and. Um, and I'm glad I was able to, to tell the story about Steve because it was at his house, um, oh gosh, 20 years or so ago. We were at his, at his backyard, you know, at a little picnic cookout. And uh, his friend Fred, who's a wonderful guitar player, and he also has a, a different band with Fred and another guy, Chris. And uh, Fred's wife at the time says, hey, why don't you play that Mr. Tanner song? And I, I had never heard it. So he just starts playing and he starts singing it. And I had my, my, I call my Lucy moment from like Peanuts, uh, you know, the Christmas uh, show when, when Lina or uh, Schroeder plays uh, Jingle Bells, she goes, that's it. Um, that was my, that's it moment. I heard that song and that refrain of all songs speaks the most to me out of, of anything, because to me, music is my life. It's not my livelihood. And, um, you know, I don't know much how much more I can say that lyric just speaks so much to me and so deeply. And, you know, I get to sing the Big John part. Um, I was going to ask if that was, yeah. yeah, yeah, I was, that's what I was picturing. 
yeah, I, I sing that part and then I do the, 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 you know, Martin Tanner baritone, you know, made his town hall debut last night. So we try to, and we of course try to make songs our own and, and put our own little spin on things. And, uh, but yeah, and, and it's, and it's cool because when we play that song, so many people, are, Oh, I forgot about that song. Oh man. Yeah. I haven't heard that song in 20 years or the very, very first time we ever performed out live. We were playing for tips, you know. I got a bar that was all around Christmas time, and we were we were doing some songs. I be honest, we we were not very good. <laughs> we, were, we were pretty rough around the edges first time uh, out in front of a live audience, and you know, and he he was teaching me how to sing harmonies and all that. But we sang Mr. Tanner, and the bartender looked at us and he gave us fifty bucks. He says, "Because you played Mr. Tanner." And he says, "I haven't heard that song in so long. You guys did that great." So, and uh, it's I mean. Music was his life. It's not his livelihood. I mean, I, I sit there singing all the time. Everyone always looks at me and they go, "You got a song in your head now, don't you?" I'm like, "Yeah, I do." <laughs> <laughs> I'm always. When I was little, my brother would. I would drive him nuts. I had an older brother. He go, "Mom, he's humming again." She's like, "Will you leave him alone? He's just having. He's in his own world. He's having fun. He's not harming anybody. Just leave him alone." And I used to drive him absolutely nuts because I would just always be singing and humming and you know tapping and it was always something i wanted to do and kind of in you know in uh mr tanner fashion i was that guy in the background cleaning coats and you know for me it was silk screen and t-shirts and and singing and and having a great time and it's kind of how i i got on stage because i as i mentioned i was an art major and i started theater doing uh sets and set design and all that kind of stuff so i was doing set design for a, a dinner theater production of a funny thing happened on the way of the forum and i would be out there you know i'd be singing all the songs while i was painting and and this one guy uh carl schoonover uh from batavia he says why don't you get into the show and uh, i'm like i can't sing he says yeah you can he says i've been here li listening to you the whole time you can sing and but I just had never had any kind of training or you know any anything like that. I just liked to do it, and uh, he convinced me to uh, audition for a show. And I sang "Happy Birthday" as my as my audition tune. <laughs> Got into Barnum as a as a cataclysmically comical clown, and uh, and that's that's where it started, you know. And, and that Mr. Tanner song just spoke to me when I listened to it because it's like, man, this is if. If there's any song out there that's an autobiography of me that I didn't write, it's that song. Huh. You know, I, I haven't l comprehensively listened to Harry Chapin's songs, and, but I've heard quite a few of them other than the ones that everybody knows uh, right. through this show. And, man, his every one of his songs that I hear, it's like if not a long novel, a short – I mean if not a long short story, a novel in a song every time. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, and that, and to Steve's credit, that's his Elvis. I mean, he, Harry Chapin is, is his guy, go-to guy. And, you know, he loves it and, you know, and he'll sing every now and then we'll do, uh, you know, what is it? 30,000 pounds of bananas. And, and like I said, he sings Corey's coming and of course, Cats in the Cradle, you know, you got, you got to do that one. And uh, every now and then and he'll throw it maybe W-O-L-D every now and then too. And, uh, but it, it is, it's, it's such good stuff. And he was, and he was the one who introduced me to Harry Chapin, you know? So it's, uh, I, I find it interesting because of course, you know, I mentioned the rockabilly stuff. I, 
I'm so all over the map too sometimes with the genres of music that I love because it's it's just it's about the story you know and when I when you guys reached out to me to, to be on this program I'm like yeah it's about it's about telling stories and you know I'm also a big Marvel Comics fan and uh, one of the former editors of of uh, Marvel Comics Jim Shooter once said he says I finally figured out what makes Marvel so great he says tell a good story and tell it well and boy does Harry Chapman do that. Absolutely. Um, Say you said you were an artist in high school. You did get on stage. Like, what were you aspiring to at that point in your life? I was aspiring to be a graphic designer. I mean, so if you can picture the the Bob Dylan poster that came with his greatest hits album, um, I think it was what, 1968 um, with the with the funky wild colored hair. And it's just his silhouette in black Mm -hmm. with some funky letters on the bottom that was done by a a graphic designer named uh, Milton Glaser, and uh, he was my like graphics hero. I wanted to be Milton Glaser, so that's what I, you know, and I always had kind of a a talent for art, and you know, d- did well in in high school, and uh, so I decided to be an art major. Figure I'm going to be a big time graphic designer, and you know, be a Darren Stevens, and come up with all these great, <laughs> things, you know, great great designs and all that, and uh, I just. I'm still in the field. I'm just on the sales end of it right now. And I, st- I still do a lot of design and have been able to, you know, design some album covers and things of that. So it's, it's pretty cool to, you know, to be able to tie in my love of music. And because uh, of course, back when, you know, when albums, when vinyl albums were the thing, I mean, uh, cover artists were, were, that was, that was like the pinnacle, right? I mean, if you got your, if you could do a piece of cover art for an album, you, you kind of hit the big time. And, uh, I think I read that you have a massive vinyl collection and it started because of the cover art. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> unfortunately I got divorced, um, mid two thousands and my kids were just at an age where they were moving out. So I was, uh, all by myself. So I figured, Hey, I'm going to redecorate, uh, my son's bedroom. And that will be kind of my first, uh, music room, if you will. And at the time it was like 2006, 2007, you get, vinyl albums for a dollar you know so I uh, yeah it was the glory days of getting good vinyl for nothing oh my gosh it was great so i'm like oh yep i'm gonna get a molly hatchet because it's got the frank rosetta on it and then i'm you know, i'm gonna get the aerosmith that's got the hirschfeld on it and i found a harry chapin that milton glaser actually did a cover of and so i went and got all these great album covers you know with with the artists that i really enjoyed got i paid more for the frames than i did for the records you know and uh and then I bought myself one of those, uh, a cheap, you know, a cheap little record player for like 79 bucks. And I'm like, because I had never had a record player. Uh, my, my older brother had the record player when we were growing up. So, uh, you know, that I wasn't allowed to touch, which of course I did because I was a, a little brother and, uh, you know, listened to his records. So when I could, and then I, I got that and it didn't last too long. And then I really said, okay, I'm going to. I'm going to jump into something really good. So I got myself a real nice system. And, and then of course, and, and I love to collect records, um, record CDs, any recordings, if you will, from local, local Buffalo artists too. That's kind of my passion with, with records. So you started collecting records and then at some point thought, well, I ought to buy a machine to play these on. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> you know, more than we, and you figure it's like, Oh, I'm going to go to the art gallery and buy an art print for 40 bucks. I'm going to buy an art print for a dollar. It's called a record album, you know, and, uh, and put it behind glass. Yeah. And then I just started I, like, I got to play these things. And, and of course it's, I got hooked. So I've, 
you know, I can't stop. <laughs> Do you have a, a you know, um, your gem, your one that you're proudest of, that you love the most, that's maybe the hardest to find, et cetera? My, my, the one that's the hardest to find, I have a, a, um, a repress of it. It's actually from Mo Kaufman and the Main Stemmers. And it was recorded in 1948. And three local greats, Boyd Lee Dunlop, Frankie, Frankie Dunlop, and Elvin Shepard, uh, all great jazz musicians. Uh, Frankie Dunlop played with Monk and Mingus and Maynard Ferguson. And, you know, Elvin Shepard uh, played with, with everybody. Boyd Lee Dunlop played uh, with Big J McNeely and toured a lot. But Boyd Lee didn't record much. And that was their very first recording. And I'm still looking for the original 78 on the main stem label, but they repressed it in 1952 um, on the Baronet label in the Netherlands. So I have a copy of that. There were two, two 78s, had uh, four tracks, and I got both of those along with the Big J McNeely recordings. He only did four of those, and I have those on 78 and 45. And he, he did, uh, he was kind of rediscovered very late in life at like his early 80s and uh, recorded two cds um of his piano playing so i have all of his recordings which so that's kind of my that's my holy that's my holy grail but i still need to get it on the main stem label it's been very very hard to find you have any buddy holly elvis or stray cats on vinyl oh gosh i've, I've pretty much got every stray cats that i can get at this point there's a couple couple bootlegs um that i'm looking to get there that are pretty pricey um and i just had one that uh i bought from discogs and they had to not send it to me because they they went to ship it and it was damaged so i'm like oh man but uh and i just saw this morning that uh, brian setzer's coming out with a brand new uh a brand new album in september so i'm looking forward to that but yeah i pretty much and, and i'm not just a vinyl snob it's like if it's on cd if it's on vinyl I'll buy it because there are some things, you know, during the 90s, they really weren't pressing a lot of vinyl. So if you want to get recordings, you know, of your favorite artist, you have to, uh, um, you know, get it on CD. But I also have some of the the early, early Elvis stuff. So uh, one of the one of my prized possessions from Elvis is I've got the it's the 245 um, set. I can't remember which tunes are on it, but it's got the pink and the green letters on it that say Elvis Presley. And uh, that that's uh, that's quite a collectible one to have. So I'm I'm really fortunate to to have that one. I got some older Buddy Holly ones too. So that's uh, I I play them on. I'll play them every now and then. I don't like to play them a lot. So but got to got to keep them in in good shape. But I also have all the those spin clean and all all the stuff. I'm kind of a nut when it comes to <laughs> taking care of them. But if you yeah. had to guess how many, uh, or maybe you have a spreadsheet, uh, how many uh, albums do you have? Well, I think when you count 78s, 33s, and 45s, and then you add CDs in, there's four to 5,000. Oh, wow. Wow. So, yeah. Well, all right. Well, let's yeah. do your second song. All right. This says, I don't know this one at all, so you'll have okay. to help me out here. Oh, absolutely. Um, we're going to listen to this one again, like uh, the first one? Yeah, why don't we listen to this one and then yeah, there's if I think this of the one I I'm thinking of, this is a great great song. Blues run the game. 
Run the Game. All right. This is Blues Run the Game by Jackson C. Frank from his self-titled album released in 1965. This is Greg Hennessy's second song here on Three Song Stories. Great tune. So what's the story? So the story is, so let me give you a little of the backstory. Jackson C. Frank is a local Buffalo artist. Jackson C. Frank, when he was, I don't know, 10, I can't remember, 10, 11 years old, was in a very horrific fire um, in the Cleveland Hill School District, which is a suburb of Buffalo. Their elementary school burned down. It was a wooden building, and 15 of his classmates were lost in the fire. Uh, he was one of 19 that was severely injured in the fire, along with um, three teachers and in the, in the principal. When he was in the hospital... A teacher brought him a guitar because he, he was very badly burned. He was in the hospital for quite a while. And he learned how to play guitar while he was in the hospital. And this was, uh, you know, in the late 50s, early 60s. Um, he had played around town at, uh, you know, the local coffee houses. There was a place called the Limelight. And in 1965, he was able to get a insurance settlement. So he finally decided to take off from Buffalo and go over to uh, London, England, uh, where the folk revival was really in full swing. And uh, another another uh, young folk artist who just didn't make it with his album called Wednesday Morning 3 a.m. decided to go over there at the same time, a uh, gentleman by the name of Paul Simon. Hmm. And when Jackson was there, the, the story... Story is a little bit uh, muffled as to what is really true, but one of the stories is he actually wrote blues run the game as he was traveling, uh, you know, from New York on, on a boat over to England and Jackson C. Frank, for anyone who knows the folk scene, he's like one of the pinnacles of the folk scene. Um, everyone, you know, go to YouTube and, and look for blues run the game. And John Mayer has done a cover. And, uh, one of my new favorites, Joshua Lee Turner's done a great cover and Lauren Marlin, Laura Marlin, and just tons and tons of people who have covered that song because it's just such a great song. And I was very fortunate if you, if you do YouTube that song and with my name, I have a version of that out there with, with Steve and I, because we were able to perform that song at the Buffalo Music Hall of Fame induction gala in 2015 when Jackson was inducted. And so what happened was later in Jackson's life, he was very down and down and out. And there's all kinds of information about him on, on, uh, on the, the Internet. But a gentleman by the name of, of Jim Abbott found him in Woodstock. He was just not in good health. Um, he was both physically and mentally injured from that fire. And uh, he kind of took him in under his wing. And Jim was invited up from Atlanta. He lives in Atlanta um, to be part of the ceremony. And some other folks came up to accept on Jackson's behalf. And one of the guys on the board that I work with, I actually uh, was also the chairman of the, the gala. He said, what, why don't you and Steve sing Blues Run the Game? And Jim was also going to sing a song uh, from Jim uh, from Jackson C. Frank. So we're like, yeah, can we do that? So... It was pretty cool. So the night before, Jim actually wrote a book about uh, Jackson. We were at a local record store, uh, record theater that has since closed down, unfortunately. And we got to uh, perform the song in store, which was pretty neat. And then we performed it the night of the the, the gala. And we were in a, in a room. 
probably five, 600 people. It was loud. People were, people were kind of rude. I mean, they weren't listening to people giving their speeches and, and all that. Steve starts playing the guitar and I start in on the first verse by myself and the whole room got quiet huh. and you could hear a pin drop. And I looked down and Jim Abbott is standing in front of us with tears streaming down his cheeks. And, you know, we, we did the song and, you know, everyone really enjoyed it. And I, I looked at Steve and I says, you know what, if we never sing again, I don't need to, because this was, this was the highlight of my musical performance. I mean, it was, it was, it was just such an incredible feeling to get the audience, you know, and I, it was, you know, due to the fact that that's just a, such a powerful, powerful song. And uh, Simon and Garfunkel actually have uh, covered it. And uh, it's on a three CD uh, compilation from the early 2000s um, that a guy that I actually went to high school or to college with at SUNY Fredonia, he, he was in their sound program. He actually was able to go to Nashville and go in their archives and find all the old Simon and Garfunkel stuff. Cause that never, that song never made one of their uh, regular albums hmm. as far as I know. And uh, cause I'm like, I, you know, when, when this song was brought up to me, because I hadn't heard of Jackson C. Frank until he was being inducted in the Hall of Fame. I'm like, again, you know, who's this guy? And, uh, you know, once I started diving into it, it's like, I remember that song and listen to Simon and Garfunkel. They have a little bit of a different version of it. And, but, and I, I say, and Paul Simon will probably argue with me, but I, I think he he has a little bit of Jackson style in his play. And of course, he's got his own style, but uh, you can hear a little bit of Jackson, I think, in Paul Simon's uh, guitar playing. Jackson, had a, he's got a very specific kind of a finger-picking style because of his injuries. He couldn't move his arms a lot, so he had to kind of really develop a, a picking style, if you will, and uh, only recorded the one album, which was produced by Paul Simon. And I think a second album came out of stuff that was never – they tried to do stuff, but he was just – just had such a tragic life that uh, – and he would be another holy grail because that original album sells for seven hundred fifty bucks and, and more. Hmm. <laughs> you know, you, mint, mint condition is probably two three thousand bucks. So, had you ever sung that song before? I mean, what I'm getting at is, is you sang in front of a room full six hundred people, and it sounds like maybe the night before was the first time you tried to play it. Um, we played it about a month earlier at a the music hall of fame was doing a fundraiser so we played three of jackson's songs um at that that was our very first attempt and yeah then the day before so we hadn't really sung that before like maybe a month before the the gala so do you have any nerves up there in front of that many people no no i it, it's weird and i i don't mean to be egotistical but once i start singing and you just get into the music I forget about everything else. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. You know, I mean, not, uh, not everybody can do it, but I get it. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a crazy feeling. And just looking around that room, I'm like, wow, you know, and everyone, it's kind of, you know, it was, it reminds me when I was a kid, you know, you had to, I think it was the cricket in Times Square when the little cricket plays Silent Night, you know, with his wings in Times Square and everyone stops and listens to that. You know, that was the same kind of moment. It was, it was, it was incredible. Just, just a great feeling. Do you get some of that same feeling when you're sitting in with the, uh, Andrews sisters tribute act Buffalo dolls? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's uh, (laughs) a, what can you tell us about them? Well, yeah. So the, so the Buffalo dolls is a local, um, a local trio, uh, three, three of my buddies, uh, 
Donna, Donna Delano, Kerr, Rusty Droz, and uh, Debbie. Gosh, and now I can't remember Debbie's last name. Sorry about that, Debbie. Um, but I've been singing with them along with a with a big band called the Ladies First Jazz Band. It's a it's a full big band of all um, uh, female musicians, and uh, they they like to call me their Bing. Or, or I'm also affectionately called their Ken doll because uh, they're the dolls and uh, I wear my white suit and uh, we do all that old croonery stuff. So they, they got me involved at Christmas time because, of course, Bing Crosby used to sing with the Andrews sisters uh, and doing a lot of Christmas stuff. So I got to sing with them and do the do the Bing part. And uh, it's just kind of morphed from there. So they, I, I'm very fortunate because I'm the only guy up there on the stage with them and the, with all those ladies. You know, it's, it's a rough gig. And, uh, <laughs> but I love it. And, you know, we recently did a show. It was kind of the old, uh, um, the, the Glenn Miller uh, Orchestra used to, you know, have a radio show, uh, which their backing band was the Modern Airs, which are from Buffalo. So there's, I always love to say there's a Buffalo connection everywhere you look and uh the chesterfield hour so i got to be like the announcer and we've i found all these old radio ads and print ads and you know ronald reagan says you know smoke a chesterfield <laughs> you know, people are like ah, you know it was a very very much of an older audience so they got it but it was it was neat so that's uh and, and then you know i get to do that croonery kind of you know that that tony bennett type stuff i mean i'm a baritone so i you know the 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 newer stuff I can't sing. I just don't have that high of a register. So, um, tell us about in the Flamingo Lounge with Rockabilly Greg. Oh, that's a so that is my own podcast that I started um, in March of 2022 on the recommendation of Jesse Galante, who is an also also a local um, vocalist. Uh, she's toured all over the world. I was working on a show with her. And we were just talking local music. And because of folks that I've met through the Buffalo Music Hall of Fame, I was on the board for 11 years. And uh, she says, you know, you really have such a passion for, for local music. Why don't you start a podcast? And I'm like, that's a good idea. Now, mind you, I had never listened to a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that word. Great idea. Yeah. <laughs> Great idea. Let's do it. And... Uh, so I started now, A, before I started doing any of my own recording, I, ha I hadn't listened to one. I think, I think when you guys reached out, you were one of the first actual podcasts that I listened to. Um, and one of the reasons is I didn't want to listen to anything because I wanted to really, I had a vision in my head of what I wanted this thing to be like. And I didn't want to, um, you know, be distracted by anything. But also one of, kind of one of my, uh, what's um, looking for the word? Uh, the the impetus was um, Paul Harvey's "The Rest of the Story." Oh yeah, I remember that. You know, um, because there's you know a lot of people know like the Goo Goo Dolls and Ani DeFranco and you know Brian McKnight. These are Rick James. They're all you know very famous folks that have come out of Buffalo from the music scene. But then there's just a whole bunch of people right below that level who may not may not have just gotten that big break um you know 10,000 maniacs are also from from jamestown so there's a bunch of big ones like that um i actually had the the former lead singer mary ramsey was on uh, not too long ago so that was that was kind of a treat but uh i really want to tell the stories of our local musicians here so i, I keep it to buffalo and western new york and 
you know, a lot of people don't realize that folks like Harold Arlen is from Buffalo, you know, who wrote Over the Rainbow. Hmm. Jack Yellen, um, who wrote Ain't She Sweet, that was one of the Beatles' first cover tunes, right? Um, Jack Evans, uh, who is from Salamanca, which is a little south of Buffalo, but he wrote um, Silver Bells, um, Buttons and Bows. Um, Ray Henderson wrote Bye Bye Blackbird. So there's, there's a bunch of... Uh, Chauncey Olcott, who wrote When Irish Eyes Are Smiling, these are all Buffalo guys, you know, all Buffalo and Western New York um, artists. And so many people, I'll say, I'll mention Harold Arlen, I'm like, first of all, they go, who? I'm like, oh, come on, you've heard Hope Over the Rainbow before. Like, yeah, he's from Buffalo? I'm like, yeah, he is. So when Jesse mentioned I should do this podcast, I says, you know, I should, because these stories need to be told. Do you keep your uh, your finger on the pulse of the Buffalo music scene that's, you know, up and coming? It's it's more than up and coming. I will say we, I, a very we very arrogantly like to say we're the we're the Austin of the Northeast. Huh. Uh, this it's a great scene. All genres of music. I mean, there's my goal is to do 500 episodes. So I want you know I want to keep this thing going for about 10 years. I don't think I'm going to have many duplicates to be honest with you. And I keep I keep running into and discovering because of course my initial vision was to do the you know, the older guard, you know, the Hall of Famers and stuff like that. And then I start meeting some of these younger musicians and they got great stories and they really got some great music, you know, and they're really, they're kicking it, you know, and it's, you know, cause all of us old, old fogies are like, Oh, who's gonna, you know, be playing at, uh, you know, the free shows in 20 years, like sticks and everything, you know, there's no good bands coming up now. Like, Oh, there's, there's a ton of good music coming from the, from the younger crowd. You just have to, you just have to find it now. It's a little harder to find with all the, all the different uh, channels that you can, you know, get onto now to, to get music. Uh, Any uh, up and coming local Buffalo acts or musicians that you'd want to give a shout out to, or just, you know, draw some attention to. So us down here in Southwest Florida can look them up. Yeah. There's, there's one band called Grash. Uh, They were on uh, early in my, uh, in my podcast uh, Grace Logan on guitar and Megan Brown on vocals, uh, Dylan Hund on bass and uh, Josh English on on the drums. All all original music. They are killing it. They are really popular. Great band. Look them up. They're called Grash. And then another real young young band that just kind of started, but they they got in they got invited to go to South by Southwest in uh, in March of this year called Sunday Rain. I know they're in the studio right now recording, but if you go to my podcast and listen, I actually recorded them uh, in my in my basement here, and uh, came out really good. Um, so it was the first things they had ever recorded, and they're all uh, all original tunes. And uh, another uh, another one is uh, Tuesday night. Uh, Courtney Ann and Sarah Elizabeth there they just went to New York City uh, to play, and uh, did one of those. I guess you can record like a custom 45. Uh, yeah, a little one shot deal. Little one shot deal. So I, I got one of those coming in the mail. So they, and they're they're original. Uh, Sarah Sarah is uh, also employed by Music Is Art. So Music Is Art is a local organization that uh, run by uh, founded by Robbie Takeak from the Goo Goo Dolls, and uh, they have a huge music festival every year in September uh, after Labor Day, and uh, it's just it's a great thing and. Uh, and they're really, you know, I've, I've really gotten plugged into the local scene. And uh, also, too, there's uh, two, two younger folks there. One of them, he's a musician, but they're, they're like, uh, 
videographers and they actually have a YouTube channel called uh, Nickel City B-Sides. Um, so Buffalo is sometimes referred to as the Nickel City because uh, the Buffalo is on the nickel, obviously. And they go out and record three songs from local younger bands and uh, all original stuff and put them and they're very well done and were very well crafted so i would definitely uh recommend you check those out because uh, there's a lot of great bands a lot of those younger bands are on there you can discover some great stuff awesome those are great recommendations i appreciate it and your third song if i'm not mistaken is from a local musician as well uh, who was on your podcast right yeah he was on the podcast he actually tours nationally now he's uh He's located out of Boston. His name's Chris Trapper. Um, he's recently um, traveled and toured with uh, Pat Benatar and uh, Sammy Hagar. Uh, um, oh, gosh. I think Brian Adams. A uh, bunch of folks. He, he had a band also called the Push Stars, um, which had some music and uh, I think something about Mary. And uh, there's some other... other uh, you know, other movies that he's had music in, but he's a, a Buffalo Music Hall of Fame inductee. And uh, someone I met uh, was, was interesting when I met him at the at the gala. Again, I had never heard of him, you know, and uh, but the Hall of Fame, you know, somebody put his name in. It's like, yeah, boy, this guy's done a lot. And uh, so we're at the, you know, step and repeat background. We're getting our pictures taken. And I always I like to dress pretty, pretty snazzy. And I got my purple suit on. Right. And uh I looked at him like, man, you got one heck of a nice suit and jacket on there, man. And he says, yeah, Lansky Brothers in Memphis. And I I lifted my foot up and I pointed at my shoe and I said, Lansky Brothers from Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> and we just connected right from that point. We're like, he's like, dude. So so we're, we always tell you, he gets into, into Buffalo a, a couple times a year or so. My wife and I love to go and see him. And he's always like, he'll message me on Facebook. Hey, what are you going to wear tonight? You know, I'll be looking. I'll be looking for whatever suit you're going to wear. And I disappointed him in June, but it was like you know, 90 degrees when the the night he was playing. So I'm like, I'm not wearing no suit. But uh, I had to wear my pink flamingo bowling shirt. So just to you know, just to stand out. <laughs> well, yeah. should we should we listen to this third song then? Yeah, listen to this song. This is, this is a good song. All right, this is a good segue. This is uh, Greg Hennessy's final song today. This is "Keg on My Coffin" by Chris Trapper from his 2005 album Gone Again. This is a 2011 live version featuring the Wolverine Jazz Band. This is Three Song Stories. It's biography through music. Smile and know I love you the end. Thank you so much, everybody. I appreciate it. Uh, that, that just puts a big smile on my face. Me too, I, I, me too. <laughs> you know, because I've always, I've told my wife, I said, when I go, I want, you know, one of my favorite spots is, is called the Sportsman's Tavern here in Buffalo. It's our local honky-tonk. I said, I want you to rent the place for a day, get all my friends who can play music, put the keg on my coffin, and just have a party. You know, a, a, a good old Irish wake, you know, and, and just have a good time. I, I just think it's – and a lot of times live, that's usually his encore song. It's one of his more well-known songs, and everyone can sing along to it. And, and uh He'll do You Are My Sunshine at the end of it, too, So, which is pretty neat. So it, it's just one of those, you know, and meeting him and, and having to. So there's a there's a store here in, in Buffalo that's kind of like the Lansky Brothers, where a lot of musicians go and get their really cool threads. And, and I told him about it and uh, he didn't get there for about a year or so. And he texted me at one one morning. He's like, 
dude, I owe you a huge commission. This place was great. And um, he got all kinds of great, great clothes and and stuff. Uh, a lot cheaper than than uh, down in Memphis. Uh, it's kind of the nice little hole in the wall, great store up here. But uh, uh, you know, we we've just become very friendly, and it's it's cool to. I always love meeting the people that I um, have met through the through the Hall of Fame, and and even you know going to smaller venues when when musicians can kind of just come out and talk you know and, and just they're real people you know they're they're just they're just doing that they love to do it and uh you know we tend to sometimes put them way up on a pedestal and but it's so cool when they can just come down and talk to you and have a beer or whatever and uh you know just just shoot shoot the works so hmm. would old friends ever cover a song like that i i'm I have mentioned to Steve that we need to do that one. So he's, he's got to, since he's the guitar player, I got to wait for him to learn it. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, definitely, that's definitely one that, that we're, uh, we're going to be putting into the, into the set list for sure. Cool. Steve, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, all right, Greg, you ready to do a speed round? We're going to head in for a landing. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's go. Um, when was the last time you bought music that had physical form? You're an album collector, so it may have been like yesterday, but what was the most recent thing you it, it had? It was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Came in the mail, so a, a local band called the Mamazels. So, um, uh, do you, well, you, okay, you do karaoke. I know these things. These are the speed round questions, but I know. Yeah. What are, what are you like, what are your top three go to karaoke songs? Um, Rock This Town by Stray Cats. Um, pretty much, um, like maybe return to sender by Elvis, but usually anything from from Elvis and Neil Diamond's Holly Holy. If you were a championship wrestler, what music could you en- would you enter the arena to? Oh man, I, I'd I'd enter with uh, Elvis's opening the uh, CC Rider. And I suppose your wrestler name would be Rockabilly Greg, and you'd be all styled Rock up Billy that Bill, way. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, if you had to guess, what would you say is the song you've listened to the most times in your life? Oh, wow. Probably, I would have to say it's probably Rock This Town. Hmm. Mr. Katz, yeah. What activities or pursuits make you lose track of time the most? Oh, the music, the podcast for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what I'm what I'm into these days is, is the podcast and, and just in local music. It's cons- all consuming. <laughs> Song you wish you could hear again for the first time ever with fresh ears. Oh, wow. Um, I would love to be able to hear, um, mystery train, uh, Elvis doing that in the day when it was first coming out. What about an album that you get to listen through for the first time again? Oh, oh wow. I would love to listen to, um, Simon and, Simon and Garfunkel's concert in the park. Any uh, songs you'll avoid listening to, either because you just can't stand them, you've heard them too many times, or because you don't want to be reminded of what they remind you of? Oh, well, one, I love Bob Seger, but man, if I hear Turn the Page one more time, <laughs> radio plays it like you can set your clock to it. They've, they've ruined it. Uh, you know, Largent's Hold Your Head Up. Oh, my God. That's just – it's like, again, too – too many times on the radio I've heard that, so I, I can't even listen to local classic rock anymore because it's the same, same stuff. And, and, uh, and again, it, I've done the focus groups and everything. It's like, play something else. These artists got more than one song. So, 
If those you, are two that definitely. If you could broadcast a song into the head of everyone on the planet in a big collective moment magically, which song would you use? Oh wow! Um, you know that's 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 a great question. Probably the first thing that pops into my mind is the very first thing that all of us ever recorded, and that was my happiness. Hmm. Um, peak album in, in your experience or from your perspective, is there a perfect album out there that you hold above the rest? Oh, you know, wow. That's a very good question too. Uh, I'd have to. It's a complicated what? question for most people, especially you, I think. Yeah, because, you know, with, with older albums, you, you would get, you know, maybe half of the album had great tracks and then there was some real throwaways on there, but, uh, um, Again, I because uh, because I am <laughs> who I am. It'd have to be one of the like early Elvis uh, albums. There's just they're all full of. Even I was just le- listening to one of them recently though, and there's a couple songs in there that are like, yeah, these aren't very good. <laughs> what about album art? Is there the best album art? Oh, some- the best album art. Well, I love Roger Dean's stuff on all the Asia. Um, I love. Milton Glaser, of course, he did that. Harry Chapin and did the Dylan, and of uh, Frank Frazetta. All those Molly Hatchet albums were were awesome. <laughs> what would your fourteen year old self think of who you are today? My fourteen year old self would be pinching himself, going, "How did you get here? You know, where is this wonderful house, and how did you get here? <laughs> um, you know, um, never in my wildest dreams, you know, if I think back to fourteen, did I think I'd be where I am musically and what I've done because I never was doing music then. So any advice you'd want to send back? Wait to do music till later in life. It'll work out. (laughs) You know, it's, I think about, you know, I I hear that question a lot. You think about it and it's like, but everything you've gone through from that point is what's gotten you here today. And uh, like I interviewed to be the executive vice president for Elvis Presley enterprises in 2006 and that was before I got involved in the Music Hall of Fame. So if, if that had happened and that trajectory went that way, where would I be musically? You know, would I be right here doing, still doing the same thing? I don't know. And it's a question I think about all the time. Huh. Yeah, it's interesting how you never know. Little pivot points make sometimes all the difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's time for you to recommend your three people, Greg, that you'll share this with that you think we can get on. Well, um. I don't know. Have you had Brian Setzer on? <laughs> uh, no, but we would love to have him if you could help make it happen somehow. Oh, man, I, I don't know if I could help make that happen, but uh, I could probably help with uh, those younger bands that I had mentioned earlier, Grosh, uh, Tuesday Night, and um, Sunday Rain. Oh, we'd love that, yeah. Yeah, they're they're all doing some good stuff. And and uh, have you had Robbie Takak on? No, I don't even know who that is. Robbie's the bass player for the Goo Goo Dolls. Oh, so local Buffalo guy, and he's, uh, so I, well, everyone in Buffalo knows Robbie. He's one of the most uh, accessible guys out there. He's, he runs that music as art program. And uh, I, I do know some people, you know, to get through to him. So I could mention, I will definitely mention this show and uh, see if maybe he'll, he would be interested and see if we could connect the dots. Because he, he, he started out as a punk rocker, you know, and now, uh, of course, Iris and, uh, boy named Goo, 
you know, are, are a lot different than, than how they started. So he's got a great story, too. Well, do what you can con- to connect us with him and from those, those bands, because yeah. we would love to shine some light on some up-and-coming acts uh, on this show, especially from this far away. Um, right. Any uh, final thoughts you'd like to leave us with, Greg? I've really enjoyed getting to know you today. Well, if, if anyone's interested in hearing about Buffalo music, my website is rockabillygreg.com. Uh, I, t- I urge you to tune in. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's free, so there's no, uh, you know, and on my website, I also have videos and flip books and pictures, and I try to put a little history behind everything. And, you know, if we do talk about a song or something, I try to put it, there's a video or something on there just to give people some background. So, um, yeah, li- listen to Buffalo's got a great scene. And if you get up here, you won't be disappointed. There's so many great venues to see any genre you can probably think of. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Again, it's been great to talk to you. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. For this week's Parting Tune, we're going back a year to episode number 228 guest Michaela Barris, who was at the time a junior at FGCU studying music therapy. Her third song was Moon Song by Phoebe Bridgers. It was the song that helped her get through her relatively recent breakup with her boyfriend. She said they'd broken up, but she just didn't cry, didn't really feel anything. She said because he's a great person, but they were just too different and he was moving. But she said she knew deep down that she still needed to mourn somehow, and it was while she was standing in the crowd not long after at a Phoebe Bridgers concert that this song brought it all out. The lyrics are describing this girl who is basically addicted to the feeling of feeling small. And it took me a long time to understand what this song was like really, really about. And whatever. So I realized during the relationship I felt really, really, really small. But I didn't want to believe that because I was like, he's a good person. So I don't want to be like mean or whatever. I kid you not this song comes on I do not know what happened it was so embarrassing I just sobbed like snot coming down my face at the concert yes in front of everyone you know how many people were staring at me like I was ugly crying because I was like I relate to this so much and I just was like sobbing like on the floor like straight up hyperventilating crying it was so embarrassing but then I literally felt completely fine after and I like grieved the entire relationship in that like four minutes and 37 seconds we make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is host and online content producer. Our production assistant is Jared the Intern Gonzalez. Christophus is our executive producer. And our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. Keep listening.